this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at Dig Me Out Union, DMOUnion.com. We own both URLs because we rolling in it. Soon we will own the whole internet. I'm trying to register clownpenis.fart. <laughs> and you've taken us <laughs> in such a terrible place already. That will never not be funny. No. If nobody, if, if you're not familiar with what that is, please go Google it. See what happens. Jay, we have our 13th, is this our 13th poll? Is that what I'm, is that what you're telling me? Um, yeah, we have 13 winners, so. 13th poll. That means... A baker's dozen is what that's called, Jay. In, there you go. In baking terms. And like the others, there was a whole bunch of voting and comments and people telling us why they should, why we should check out certain records. And there were a lot of really good choices on this one. Nothing that was like a blatantly like going to run away with it. Just a lot of really solid picks from a number of different bands. Yeah, there's a couple on here that I feel like we would have picked on our own had we still been going from our own hopper. Oh, yeah, definitely. So let's go in reverse order of votes who we uh, had in this poll. So coming up with uh, only two votes was Trash Can Sinatra's I've Seen Everything. And then tied with four votes was Gene's Revelations and Unrest's Imperial FFRR. With six votes, there was a tie. Kitchens of Distinction, Cowboys and Aliens, and Salt's Osculate. Os- Osculate? I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, I, I remember Salt. Of, of all these bands that I've mentioned so far, Salt's the only one that I actually would know uh, one song from. I don't know any Kitchens of Distinction, Trash Can Sinatra's, or Unrest or Gene. Do you? I, rem- I remember Gene. Uh, but that's, a, I mean, I know the the other ones, it's more, I just know the, um, I know the names. I know right. kitchen, I mean, I know the name Kitchens of Distinction. I know the name Unrest. Oh, and also with six votes was Mogwai's Come On, Die Young. I, I missed that one. But that's, again, another yep. one I've, I have not listened to Mogwai's Come On, Die Young. I've heard Mogwai, but I don't know if it's that album or it might be a different one. Or maybe I did hear that one. I didn't realize the song was from there. No matter. The top vote getters... At second and first place. Second place was Faith No More's King for a Day. Ten votes. This was coming. It was down to the wire, Jay. And at the very end, Concrete Blonde's Bloodletting pulled it out by one vote with 11. Who was the suggestor? It was our friend Stephen Mizniewski. Stephen Musinski. Musinski. Oh. I'm Eastern European. This shouldn't be that hard. No, it shouldn't be. I should be able to say all my z- all my skis, but it's the beginning part that throws me every time. 
So here's what Stephen had to say. He said, would you look at that? Someone broke the tie and Concrete Blonde pulled it out. So once again, another suggestion of mine has ties to Local H. Their cover of Joey was my introduction to both the song and the band. I found a used copy of Bloodletting back in 2012 and picked it up out of sheer curiosity and was blown away by, blown away by the album opener. The disc grows on me with every listen, and I know there's a shortage of reviews from 1990, so I thought this fit the bill quite nicely. Anxious to hear your thoughts and wondering if either of you noticed any similarities between this album and a certain Australian album that was reviewed last year. I don't know. Which out al- which Australian um, album was he talking about? I don't know. I'm going to do my research here. Because you know, we review a lot of Australian albums <laughs> uh at least probably two a year, I would guess. My my informal poll of albums that we've uh, we've reviewed, it would it would say at least two per year, maybe three from Australia. And not all of them from Gavin, because Gavin Is he th- is he thinking Mant- Mantiza? Was that last year? Uh, yeah, was it? Yeah. Or was that the beginning of this year? Well, now I'm all confused. Well, I hope not, because I, I don't think this sounds like anything like them. So you keep looking, Jay. I'm going to read through some of the comments over at Patreon, where a union chimed in. Now, of course, like with every situation in which people vote, but then don't tell us exactly what's going on, um, we did actually get people telling us that they voted for for Concrete Blonde. Eric Peterson, Eric Peterson said, Concrete Blonde all the way. Tomorrow, Wendy is an underrated track. Ian Wobble said, I was stru- stuck between Faith No More and Concrete Blonde. However, I always prefer the underdog, so Concrete Blonde. It is Scott Witt. I'm going Concrete Blonde, even though it's their, it's got their hit. I love the band, and I think... That's all people really know. Almost went with Faith No More because I remember a snarky comment Kerrang made about it. And Darren Leach said, not many comments about Concrete Blonde. So Darren catching on there that, yes, the people who vote for the winner often don't chime in. A lot of people who who did vote for Faith No More did talk about it. Whitney Beeler said, F-N-M-K-F-A-D-A-S-A-P. <laughs> Alex Martin said, I was tempted to vote for Faith No More on this one, but then I thought about the impression Mogwai made on me opening for what would be the last pavement tour ever. In retrospect, that show was a bit of a swan song in the 90s era. The year was 1999 after all, but Mogwai almost showed pavement up that night. Almost. At any rate, GMV. I don't know what GMV stands for. Scott Hallgram said, easy, Faith No More. Gary Moran said, King for a Day is a great album, but who doesn't already know that? I'm voting for Salt because they had a lot of unrealized potential. Matthew Barnes said, I know I already posted this in the comments, but King for a Day had such a monumental pack impact on my life. He said, please do Faith No More. The record changed my life when I first heard it front to back. It's such a compelling listen. The manic cacophony of Ugly in the Morning, the acoustic-driven epic King for a Day for a full life, Fool for a Lifetime. To the beautiful soulfulness of just for a man just a man this album jumps all around genre wise but still somehow manages to stay cohesive this is easily my fa- favorite faith no more album mike Patton is an effing madman on this one jay did you figure out the australian mo- album from last year no i mean uh, i got mentisa i got um mark of kane i've got finny scad it's really uh, the only australian stuff i'm seeing when did here. we do baby animals that was a couple years ago. That was ago. a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what he's what he's talking about. 
I, th I don't think it's Mark of Cain. There's no connection to Mark of Cain. I don't know. I don't know. Jim Lazowski. Falling Joys? Are they Australian? Yes, maybe that's it. Uh, Jim Lazowski said, My top two picks are currently tied, Concrete Blonde, and the criminally unrated Faith No More record. That song, Digging the Grave, is remarkable. Nobody screams like Patton. I remember being really let down by Album of the Year, personally. Patrick Testa says, I listened to every album on this poll this week. Mogwise is great mood music, less a, a, like a less spacey spiritualized. That Concrete Blonde album is fantastic, one of the best of 1990, in my opinion. But since there is a long shot that I'd never heard of before, I'm going to try to help get su help Salt get the nod. That record rocks. Didn't happen. Mike Bond. I went with Kitchen of Distinction. Cowboys and Aliens is an underappreciated and forgotten pop gem that needs more love. All great choices this month, though, so we'll be happy with whatever happens. Jed, where are the concrete blonde votes coming from? I know. Who else talked? Who else gave us some comments, Jay? Well, I've been reading, so I haven't been keeping track of oh, what you've okay, read. Okay, sorry. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I don't know how much people want to hear me just regurgitate all their all the comments. I've been desperately trying to figure out what Australian bands we've covered. Okay. I realize I think we need to create an Australian tag in our uh, CMS because yes, we do. <laughs> there's so many of them. Keith Sawyer says quite the strong group. I agree with Alex that Kitchens of Distinction are very much top shelf, but I'm going to go with the sophomore trash can Sinatra's LP after the breakout su success. Of cake, I don't think the second one got a proper chance with listeners. At the same, at the time, I felt like it was stronger and and more balanced group of songs. And time hasn't affected that opinion much. It's still their best LP. Stem to stern, dropping some some nautical terminology right. there for all you sailors out there. Frank Garcia Hell said, "Great selections going with Crash Trash Can Sinatra's again." But Did I you almost say Crash Test Dummies. Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> the trash test dummy Sinatras. But I see Concrete, Concrete Blonde and Faith No More winning, and I am completely cool with that. Can't wait to hear this episode. Um, Alex Gibson said, I think that Faith No More and Mogwai would make for interesting reviews, but should still be done. But I'm vo voting for Kitchen to Distinction because I suggested it. It's not perfect, but it has many beautiful moments that get regular plays today. They are from London, but are not Britpop. I was introduced to them by a guy from Sacramento who thought they were much bigger in the USA than the UK, but it seems that bigger meant they were rather, very, rather, very small rather than very, very small. <laughs> it's very much the sort of record for this podcast, and you should give it a listen before voting. Also, no one played keyboards. I don't know what that means. I guess it's an inside joke that I am not aware of. Uh, Darren Svetson said, King for a day all the way. Love this album and don't feel got the appreciation from wider audience that it deserved. Darren Lee says, I never tire of Faith No More and regularly listen to their back catalog. One of the most unique bands ever as on each song as you can't get bored. I think you meant Hop, not Hope. This album and Angel Dust are my favorites and easily rank in my top 30 albums of all time. Mm. Yeah, I get those two albums confused in my mind, too. I have to go back and... Oh, yeah. We'll get, we'll get to them eventually, but right. I always lump those two albums together in my memory david haverlin everyone please give kitchens of distinction a listen the song sand on fire is amazing and the album shows how they can blend a poppy shoegaze and stuff like sunny day real estate great album from a criminally overlooked band john seaman said i voted for king for a day i like how it's almost like listening to the radio and changing the stations the genres are all over the place from bossa nova to metal keith badge i am going to be honest i had a copy of king for a day as a teenager 
I liked a few songs on it, but I couldn't get into it that much, so I traded it in for something else and never picked it up again. I tried to listen to it again streaming. I just didn't like it. The vocals and lyrics grated on me. The music felt unfocused, and I love the real thing in parts of Angel Dust. It's better than Album of the Year, but so is... <laughs> So is a Creed's B-side collection. I mean, if it wins, I'll listen to the episode, but ugh. All right, so going out on that note there. Those are our comments for this episode. Jay, were you familiar with Concrete Blonde? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were very um, well-supported by WMS in Cleveland. Mm. So, uh, yeah, they got a lot of airplay. Gotcha. So I didn't know them when the album came out. When I went to college... My sophomore year, which would have been 93, no, maybe it was my junior year. I don't know. One, like 93, 94, you know, years after this album came out, I had a roommate who, although he was into like 80s metal, he loved this album and mm-hmm. played it a lot. And I, that's how I got to know this. And I ended up playing a lot of the songs from this album on my radio shows that i had at wfal and bowling green specifically like joey and the opening track and a couple other ones but mostly those two tomorrow wendy maybe i would have played depending on the mood if i was doing an overnight shift (laughs) that sort of thing (laughs) okay uh so yeah i was pretty familiar i now i had not listened to this all the way through and i don't know how long i probably heard joey on the radio CD 101 still plays or they're 102.5 now, but they still play Joey like once every couple of months. So I've probably caught that over the years. But other than that, I had not revisited the record in quite some time. So just so people are aware of who was in the band, it was, um, Jeanette Nap- Napolitino, the Palatino on vocals, bass guitar. She also did the, she also did production on the record, um, so produced it, and then um, did the album cover. James Mankey is guitar and bass, and then he also recorded and mixed it along with producing it. And then Paul Thompson um, was the drummer. Paul Thompson, previous before this, was the drummer in Roxy Music. And this was recorded with the assistance of Chris... I, I, I don't know how to say his name. It's like San... Jaradis, I don't. I, I, he's got a huge resume. From okay. he's worked for everybody for like Aqualung to Sabbath to um, Therapy, Sisters of Mercy, Overkill, King Diamond, Killing Joke, Judas Priest, Human League. I mean, you got Human League and King Diamond produced by the same guy. So the right. guy's got some. He's either engineered or produced on on all those records. Now, there's there's an interesting group of additional players on this record. Peter Buck plays mandolin on the song Darkening of the Light. Hmm. R.E.M. were friends with Concrete Blonde before they actually had their band name. And Michael Stipe named the band. Concrete Blonde is is a joke about bands from L.A. that used so much hairspray that their hair became concrete. So that's where the name of the band came from. Because originally the band was a bit punkier and and heavier. So Hmm. Steve Wynn from the band The Dream Syndicate, he he sings. He does some of the backing vocals on the first song, Bloodletting. And then um, Gail Ann Dorsey 
plays bass on Tomorrow Wendy. Now that name might not ring familiar, but she was like David Bowie's bass player for like 30 years or 20 years. Okay. And when when they when he played under pressure in concert, she sang the Freddie Mercury part. Wow. Yeah. So she's okay. she's been the touring <laughs> bass player for like everybody from Tears for Fears, Lenny Kravitz, Gwen was, Stefani. Would this been in the like the last band he would have toured with? Yeah, I vaguely remember. She was the touring bassist okay. from '95 to 2016. Okay, yep. I think I re- I vaguely remember seeing some performances with her. Yeah, so she's like one of those session badass bass players yep. that plays with everybody, and you recognize her, but you might not know her name, but you've probably mm-hmm. seen her playing. And then, so I didn't realize this, but the song, the closing track, "Tomorrow Wendy's," actually was written by a guy named. Andy Preboy, um, he was the lead singer of Wall of Voodoo, which the song Mexican Radio was the big single yeah. by Wall of Voodoo. Yeah. Uh, but so that song was originally written by him. He sings or he plays keyboards on the, the version that they recorded, which is, I don't know what it's, how much different it is. Jeanette Nap- Napolitano sings on his version of it on his album, which came out the same year. So it, it, it's interesting that they both, they, re- okay. they recorded the song for both albums and put it out the same year, but two different versions of it. Yeah. It would have never occurred to me that they didn't write that song. Yeah. I mean, it, it just fits right in. Right. It is complete now. Two ends of time are neatly tied. Oh, one was street. She's walking to the end of the line. And there she and then this was reissued in 2010 there's a bonus version 20th anniversary with six bonus tracks. All right, Jay, let's get into this record. Let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like about Bloodletting by Concrete Blonde, a 1990 album. This was their third studio album, Jay. Their first of the 90s. Tell me one thing you liked about it. I've talked about this a couple times, I think, in recent episodes over the let's recent over the last couple years. I think as I get older, I'm becoming more and more um, a sucker for uh, pop music that has a dark element to it. So mm-hmm. this this is in that wheelhouse. I don't think I – I was either tired of hearing them on the radio all the time when I was younger or I didn't get it. or a combination of both. Um, I felt like I understood it a lot better now and uh, appreciated what this band does um, with a little distance and – um, age on me. So I just like the overall formula to start with. Uh, I like just the kind of imagery that, that they, they paint with, um, you know, the tones, there's a lot of like kind of eerie atmospherics. They use delays and reverbs really effectively. Her voice is spectacular. Um, it can get kind of very dark and 
but but it also can be very powerful you know i mean she can really belt it out so you can pull you in with something that you know is a little somber and sad but then really deliver um a really powerful vocal performance so you know i i just like that combination uh from you know for the most part these are fairly i would say straightforward pop rock songs you know with a hard hard rock kind of tilt here and there sometimes they get a little bit alternative but for the most part it's fairly down the middle to me and from a songwriting standpoint um the the crafting is the craft here can be uh top notch as well in terms of song structures and how they the performances you know how they put the parts together the guitar playing um, but over top of the whole thing, you've got a very, you know, spooky, eerie kind of dark tone to the lyrics, to the way she sings, to the just the overall sound of the record. Um, so I just I enjoy that that combination uh, quite a bit. I agree with everything you say. I think the one thing that I really like about this record is that it really feels like a record. There is a consistency to everything but nothing in terms of the the songwriting style repeats for example track two um the sky is a poisonous garden i heard that song and i was like oh this has got like a kind of a punkish kind of hard rock edge going on here not sure quite like is this where this album is going I don't. I, I trying to. Re- I was trying to remember back. Yeah. Like, oh, is are we gonna? Is this gonna be the thing? And that's it. Like, that's the one time where they do that. Bloodletting, the opening track, is this bluesy, raucous, it's got this great shouted gang chorus that really sets up the record, but that's it. Like, they don't go back to that. And there's that's how this record goes, is they establish a, a, a unique style and tone for each song, and they don't go back to it. And it's really cool that they don't milk any particular anything more than once. You really can't get bored with the record. It's any it, you know, it's forty two minutes. It's not that long, so yeah. it's right on the edge. I think of where, even though it's a nineteen ninety record, it really feels like it's a vinyl record for uh, um, track length or or format because. If this had come out in maybe like '95, they might have had like three more songs on it. But it's tight, even though there are, there are a couple longer tracks. The opening track is six minutes, and um, there's Caroline, which I really like, is 5:30. Caroline, 
you know, that's another one where it's it's got this propulsion to it, but it's res- very restrained. And there's lots yeah. of cool little things going on. Like there's the base is doing some really interesting little runs that are I don't even know what their runs really, but they're just it's just weird little parts to it. Then you get into the darkening of the light, which is this, you know, that's the that's the song that Peter Buck plays on. It's this acoustic, swinging sort of ballad, and it just I just really responded to not hearing the same thing over and over again, which you know some bands pull that off. They're able to find a, a style and stick with it and and work within that to create maybe ten unique tracks, but I find this way more compelling. The fact that they're able to jump around without getting too far out from what they do well. Yeah, they put it. There's like a veneer they put on everything that makes it theirs. But yeah, I can. I hear what you're saying. They can, like, the root of the songs from a genre standpoint can shift quite a bit. But they're able to make it their own and make it all work together on a record. Um, when you break some of these down, you're like, oh, that's like a 6-8 kind of acoustic feel. Right. That's like a blues thing. That's a punk song. You know, Bloodletting has a little bit of like almost a, I don't know, I was thinking of like Danzig or Circus of Power or something like uh, in terms of a, you know, just a bluesy rock riff. You, you hear a little bit of like Pretenders kind of new wavy things. But then it, I didn't. I didn't get to that level though until probably you know my fifth sixth listen. When I first listened to it, the first couple times it all just felt like them. And then as I broke it down, I was like, oh okay, I get what the core of this song is based on. Right. And they're making it their own. So yeah, I I, I think that's really what what makes it work for as a record, but also keeps it interesting. Yeah, and there's a obvious darkness that they mine with creating it's interesting we talk about timestamps for production and there's a lot of reverb on this yep. record but somehow it doesn't sound like a timestamp it sounds like a meaningful creation in the sense that it makes it gives it this ominous like largeness that you're somehow in this weird space that they've created so 
it, it, it sounds like you're in, you're in a room with like a, a what's the right visual like a cathedral or a room yeah that, like yeah. has hard walls and ceilings and is big yeah <laughs> and it it really informs the sound and and they you know there's like tomorrow wendy is a good example like everything's got reverb to the max yep. on that song and there's so much cool stuff going on there's the guitar that's bouncing left and right on that song that's really cool and that's the that's the track that the bass has um is a uh, galant dorsey and there's interesting effects that are going on it's giving it this eeriness and it's such a unique sound because it's gothic and when i think of like goth rock you know the cure is the is the band that gets mentioned a lot and then you also have i guess you know susie and the banshees i guess would be goth and there's some connection to that but this is such a uniquely american and i i, I think it's because um you know, this is a band that's coming out of the american u.s indie rock underground and then i from what i read Jeanette or Johnette uh, was got into Anne Rice and interview with a vampire. And that's okay, what led yeah. to exploring characters and situations that had, you know, that informed these songs. And you can yeah. really hear, like it really sparked something creatively that is, I, I can't even, I, there's not anything that compares to this that doesn't come off as sort of, silly or or melodramatic like this is not melodramatic in the way that i think of like typo negative as being melodramatic in their in their presentation yeah she she somehow makes that imagery relatable like it doesn't seem yeah melodramatic or like disconnected i mean it, it with some of that, it gets so heavy. You're like, okay, I get. I guess if I don't read fan fiction of, <laughs> you know, uh, Twilight or whatever, I have to to get into like this heavy vampire stuff. She like, they're doing it in a way that it's more of a metaphor. It feels to me, um, right. so I can kind of grasp it, and it just makes for cool imagery. Well, and I think that imagery and and it ties into. The, the cover, the Andy Preboy song, Tomorrow Wendy, which is the last track, he wrote that about a friend who was dying of AIDS. And when you sort of, I don't think you have to necessarily apply that sort of vision to the whole record, but when you look at the darkness of some of the songs and the lyrics and apply them to a, you know, you could take it as straightforward as a, a vampire record a gothic vampire influenced record. But if you, if you put it through the lens of the eighties and the AIDS crisis, and that is an interesting, you know, subtext to what could be going on here. I hate to like ascribe what the meaning is to a song, you know, for a songwriter that's, that's dicey territory, but I could see using, the gothic vampire imagery as a delivery device for discussing a very heavy topic such as you know AIDS in the in the 80s so 
Yeah. It's it's open to interpretation based on I guess, you know, how deep you want to go into it. But what on the record doesn't work for you? Uh I'm mostly on board with the Sonics here um and the production choices and the the I mean if if plate reverb was was exist or invented for something it was for this type of music. <laughs> the drum sound still I could use a little bit more dynamic in the snare, you know. Uh it sounds like a shotgun. <laughs> With every single hit, right? Doosh, 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 doosh. It, it doesn't. But there's been some records we reviewed where that, it's almost a deal breaker for me, uh, just because it gets annoying on your, you know, tenth listen. Um, it's not quite there, but just a little bit more dynamic on the drums would be really nice. Um, just on the sounds, there's a couple songs in here that are a little dirgy for me. I need a hero. Yeah. Days and days. I'm not a huge fan of. It sounds a little like dire straits to me i think it's okay it's just it's not quite what i think they do the be- do best you know lullaby they get a little psychedelic and there's some like a sit- sitar sounds in there mm-hmm. it's a little off off the script a bit so you know there's there's a couple things here and there you know but all in all it's i feel like i'm i'm, I'm pretty happy with, with with it as a whole i mean i think it's I, it's hard to believe a record produced like this could work so well, to be honest with you, because it's um, so reverby and so delayed. But uh, like we've talked about, that it's by some miracle it just works for them. Yeah, it it doesn't sound like a product of well, that's how drums sounded at that time. It yep. sounds more like an actual choice. Yeah, that this is what's going to lend itself to making the music sound gothic and huge. And I agree with you. I think the the first half of the record, well, not even the first half. There is after "Darkening the Light," which is a cool song. I, there is a little bit of a lull in terms of picking up with the last two songs, Joe and Joey yeah. and Tomorrow, Wendy. Yeah, um, with, yeah. It's interesting because I don't think I picked it up on it when I you know was f- first listening to the song, but it's weird to me. That Joey starts with that like that sixties beat that like boom yep. boom boom tsh, yep. boom yep. like and then goes into the song like what is the purpose I don't I'm not quite <laughs> sure I understand why why you do that it's cool I just it, it's odd to me that well I mean it's kind of uh I mean a lot of those songs were about like direct relationship songs sometimes about another you know another person's name so it's kind of a to me, it, f- it feels like an ode to do, to that that uh, time in rock, you know, R and B and rock, you know, with all those like fifties and sixties ballads. It feels like a modern take on that kind of song to me. That's a lot darker, more tragic. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. That's what I took from it. I thought it was kind of fun. I, let, let's talk about that song a little bit. Too I get defensive. 
it's odd in where it's placed. It's the ninth track on the on a ten track record. I can hear it with fresh ears now. Uh, it is masterfully written. Holy moly! Mm-hmm. Like when you break it down, uh, the way that she's able to continue to to build that that chorus and vary it and changes up the lyrics, you know, chorus over chorus, changes up the performance, which is, you know, not to get too grump grandpa on us on, uh, on folks, but that's stuff you don't hear much anymore because everybody just duplicate copy and paste the chorus over and over again and copy and paste this bridge over and over or the pre-chorus. Like you can hear a difference in the performance that makes a, to me, it, it really yeah delivers the song. Cause she's can be so emotional with her voice. I mean, it's when she's delivering those those lines at the end of uh, the choruses about you know oh Joey um, if you're hurting I'm so am I like that's all that's goosebump territory the way that she yeah. delivers all that yeah, that's you can't copy and paste that uh, no so I, I was just blown away when I really broke this song down you know it's very simple C G E you know nothing going on crazy here chord wise but the the way that the the song's constructed and then just the way they play it you know the the guitar player is really clever like he can he can shred if he wants he, there's a couple of great solos on the record but he does a lot of very like tasty exchanges with her where he knows how to give her voice space and then come in with a you know a cold like chimey chord or a little lick or like to me, they just go back and forth throughout this whole record, and and this song is just a great example of that. Where that that uh that could that strat or whatever it is he's playing, I think it's a strat, kind of becomes the second voice. It's almost like a duet, you know, um, between her and the guitar. It's yeah, really well done. Yeah, his playing is really cool because it's so diverse from song to song. He really plays to the song. Yeah. In the way that, like, you know, like a Mike Campbell does. Yeah. In, in the Heartbreakers. Yeah, good call. Um, I I just wanted to highlight in terms of vocal. I agree with you on her vocal on that is just it it is the whole song. Yeah. Because that's such a straightforward progression. Um, on Darkening of the Light, I love how she doubles herself but doesn't oh, match yeah. it. Like that's so cool that she's plays it, off of her own voice in the verses that first verse i i thought i thought that first verse she was singing with ian asbury like the second voice that she does it uh-huh, sounds yeah. a lot like him i was like holy crap did ian asbury sing on this i was like looking it up and i was like no wait that's just her and not not as much on the second verse um and it sounds like a song um this actually the song reminds me of something um off a of ceremony or maybe even like musically, like you would have heard on Love. So it, it definitely has a cult sound to me. Huh. But yeah, the way that she sings that, those lines, so cool with the two voices. Well, now I want an Ina Asbury <laughs> duet. Oh, I know. On that song. Right? <laughs> Dang. They'd be perfect together. Yeah, I don't, I don't really have a lot of complaints about this record. And it, it actually listened to this record reminded me that they had two other records in the 90s and i was like oh i gotta go check those out because i don't remember yeah. those records at all yeah the, i remember um let's see what record was it 
Walking in London came out in 92 and Mexican Moon came out in 93. And then they were done. God is a Bullet is a song that WMS played a lot. That is on the album Free, which came out in 89. Go listen to that song and watch the video. It's it's so... It kind of blows your mind because it's about gun violence and also like police violence. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, what, this was written in 89? Like, this could have been written yesterday. Hmm. Um, It's pretty amazing. But yeah, I remember that song got played a lot on uh, WMS. This is definitely a band I, I, after listening to this, want to go dig into their catalog some more. Well, and I'd forgot... Also, this was the same year that their cover of Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen was on the Pump Up the Volume soundtrack. And I didn't know that it was a cover. I was just like, oh, that's a cool song. Because I'm not, Mm. I don't know the Leonard Cohen catalog that well. But um, I love that movie and have owned that soundtrack forever. You know, as soon as I was on CD, I got it sometime in the 90s. I don't know if you've heard that song or if you remember their their take on it but it totally fits in with this album oh gotcha yeah the um they put out a a a kind of a best of in 96 well they broke up yeah that's crazy and then they got back together in like the 2000s at some point yeah and they put out a a, an uh, like a uh, album called still in hollywood with which was um covers which included the leonard cohen cover and live tracks and it included a cover of a nick cave song and that got me thinking like this this is the closest uh i can think of of like an american nick cave type band Mm, yeah of uh, at this going on at this time right yeah that makes sense Jay, let's talk about overall ratings. Were the album better EP or decent single? I showed my hands already. It's a, yeah. it's a worthy album. Yeah. Um, you know, I've only got uh, three songs on the record not highlighted. Those are they're still good. They're not. I wouldn't skip them. They're just not as strong. I, I think I need a hero. Days and days and lullaby to me suffer a little bit because darkening of the light and Joey. And I think the best is a really cool song too it almost sounds like the beast 80- oh sorry yeah uh it sounds like an 80s billy idol but like cool 80s billy idol um <laughs> yeah. I-, I think uh there's a couple songs in there that suffer a little bit just because joey is so strong but when you get to that you're like oh my goodness this is how good this band can be so it's really all relative so I- i'm at a worthy record yeah i agree with you very much a worthy record don't be put off by the production is what I would say. I know it's got the big reverby drums, and you think, "Oh, this is this is very '80s," but it totally works within the context of of what they're putting forward. And there isn't a bad song. There's just better songs in certain spots, and then there's some good but not great songs. But it's a tight ten track album worth the the ride. I think going through it. We guys, uh, thank our our voters and Steve Musinski who suggested this record this was a good one glad we got to it glad we got a 1990 record getting to fill in that less than you know equally represented area from the 90s for us if you know you want to suggest a record you go to our suggest a album link yep right on our website 
it's right there. We'll put it in a poll at some point, and people will vote on it. Every month it's going on. Every Not month Not just a people. Poll. The TMO union. The union. Patrons will vote on it, and they will comment. <laughs> and they will comment mostly on the album that doesn't win, but that's okay. And, and you know what's most important? Hmm. They'll be nice. Yeah. <laughs> because as we know, on the internet, not everybody that's commenting is nice. But uh, I'm pretty happy that our folks are very constructive and have a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a nice... Nobody's making anybody feeling bad about what they listened to in the 90s. No, the only, the only time anybody's ever made anybody feel bad is when I picked uh, Crucifunkin' by uh, <laughs> Grunt Truck for my song of the year uh, after season one. You you and Neil Schmidt ganged up on me. Well, that's that's different. <laughs> I forgot that that's different. You're, you're fair play. You're allowed to bully me. I'm 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 fair game. All right. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. However you listen, thanks for listening. Just a reminder, we're on Spotify. So if you listen on Spotify, good on you. I don't, I don't, I don't know if we can leave a comment there or, or rate things on Spotify. Where do you listen to us? Rate us. Yeah. Right. You can't afford the join union. We crave if you don't have your two feedback. bucks to give us a month. Give us a review. Yeah. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. The white light of the morning.